This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Turn your Bibles, if you will, tonight to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to pick up with verse number 11. I really enjoy Wednesday nights because it gives me an opportunity to teach the Word, and we just sometimes stay in a verse or a word even for uh, the entire time that we are together. And I like that. I don't feel rushed and pressured, and I don't feel that uh, we are navigated a lot of times by uh, schedules and different things. This is one of my refreshing times of the week, is just to open the Word of God and to look at it and teach it. And so I pray that it is a blessing to you as it, as much as it is to me. So tonight I'm going to ask you to look at First Peter chapter 4, and we're going to pick up with verse number 11. And there's a word here tonight I want to encourage you to... I hope that you're writing notes or writing in the margin of your Bible, uh, because uh, this is an, this is a prime example of a verse that has a word that we do not use uh, in our everyday language, and uh, it's in the scriptures. And you need to know what it pertains to, what it means. And so I'm going to read the verse. We'll have prayer, and we'll get into the uh, explanation of it. 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as the ability which God giveth, that in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. So I want you to look at this, this word oracles. And I have it underlined in my scripture, and I want to talk about that just for a moment because uh, it, it can be in reference to two different things, one of which it has a reference to the Old Testament Mosaic law. And I'm going to give you an example of scripture pointing back to that. And so if you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 7 and verse number 38, this is one of the things I like about it, because we can park and we can cross-reference and we can see the Scriptures as we study to show ourselves approved. So if you're writing in the margin of your Bible right beside verse number 11, write this Scripture down, Acts seven thirty-eight, And the Word says this, This is he that was in the church. Now let me, let me explain something to you. And this is controversial, I know, from, from the perspective of many theologians and scholars and just everyday Bible students, because we happen to believe that the local New Testament church had its beginning on the day of Pentecost, okay? Acts chapter 2, we believe that's when the church, the body, was empowered by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to know something, that... I'm not completely dogmatic about that because of this one verse right here in the Scriptures. Now, does the Bible not say that where two or three are gathered together, there he is in the midst of them? Okay, we get that. But I also want you to know that this verse of Scripture, a church or an assembly, 
the ecclesia, this is the Greek meaning of the church, the ecclesia, the called out assembly. But I want you to see this. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received, look at this, lively oracles to give unto us. Now this is what I believe about the wilderness tabernacle and the assemblies. We, we know that the Bible is filled with Old Testament scriptures that talk about assemblies, assembling together. You know, the tabernacle was not like the temple. The tabernacle moved from location to location. And you, you think when you study that, and, and I have another study altogether on the tabernacle. I think it would be wonderful one day if the Lord will lead us to get into it, but it's complicated, and I know it's really deep. But one of the things that I want you to think about is that when this tabernacle thing moved, it wasn't like just take this pulpit and move it somewhere. I mean, when you study the Old Testament tabernacle, you'll be interested to know that it was a divine, complex thing. It was no simple matter. But they moved wherever God said to move. So the tabernacle was a traveling assembly. And uh, they met everywhere. But they were meeting collectively as a body, a people, a congregation. They were meeting. And uh, they were there to worship. They were there to lift up the name of Yahweh, Jehovah God. They, they sang praises. They took collections. And so, I guess there's a big theological debate sometimes on exactly when did the local church start. And I know. That the, that the local New Testament church was empowered by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. I get that, Acts chapter 2. But I cannot distance myself from the fact that this, this mobile tabernacle was not just about a, a big tent with stuff in it. This was about not only this dwelling place where God would show up, it was real people inside worshiping the Lord. And so the scripture says, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness. When the Bible speaks about the wilderness, it's not just necessarily talking about the John the Baptist experience with the, the honey and wild locust thing. It's most of the time when it's in reference to the wilderness, it's talking about in the Old Testament days. Okay, so that's another study in itself. That's not something that I want to mislead you on, but it's a thought, and it's a thought that I think about a lot. But here's something else. Here's the thing, the oracles. Which spake to him in the Mount Sinai with our fathers. So from all of that we know it's talking about the Old Testament. All right, now look at this. Who received the lively oracles to give unto us. This is the word we're looking at tonight in 1 Peter 
4.11. But then there is a New Testament aspect to this, and it's found in Romans chapter 3, verse number 1 and 2. And uh, this is what the Scripture says. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed, look at this, the oracles of God. Okay, so we know that the oracles of God existed before the local New Testament church, we know that it was in the day of the wilderness mobilization of the tabernacle. But now, the oracles of God, here in this passage, 1 Peter 4, it's used to depict New Testament doctrine. That's very important. We get what it was in the Old Testament, but there's also a New Testament application, and I want to give this scripture to you in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 12. And this is where cross-referencing is important. You may not even be really familiar with this term, cross-referencing, but cross-referencing is when we do exactly what we're talking about. You're writing down a passage of Scripture in the margin of your Bible because you've come across a verse of Scripture that you did not quite understand or know its full meaning, but I give you Scriptures in other places of the New Testament or in the Old Testament. Cross-referencing is you go to those places either looking back or you look forward. But this is what Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 says. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teacheth you again, which be the first principles of the oracles. You see that? Of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. And so... When you look at this one word, oracles, there, there's mention of it in reference to the Old Testament, and there's mention of it in reference to the New Testament. And here Peter is talking about in this application, in this passage, he's, he's describing what should categorize our preaching and teaching as spirit-filled believers, as as preachers, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and missionaries. And I believe that every time we speak the Word of God before the people of God, no matter what capacity we're in, whether it be Sunday school, whether it be uh, the Wednesday night Bible study, whether it be Sunday morning service, that we should ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with anointing that we ask the Holy Spirit that he would give us unction, that he would give us power, that he would give us liberty. Every, every time I walk out of my office, I never do that without praying that prayer. God, fill me tonight with your spirit from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. Help me to speak the things that will be a blessing to the people that will glorify you. Give me, Holy Spirit, the unction, the liberty, the power, the anointing, the clarity of mind, the boldness to speak, to speak. And I feel like that if I walk out of my office without spending that quality time in prayer with God, that, believe me, I still, I still, when I step up here to the platform, I am greatly depending on God. 
to speak. Because I realize this, that without him, I'm nothing. Jesus said that in John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing. And if I were to try to get up here and preach without the power of the Holy Spirit on my life, it would, it would be bogus, completely bogus. But I want you to look at this now. There's because there's another connecting component to verse number 11, not just the oracles of God and the application of that, but notice what Peter says. If any man minister, that's the next thing. We have to be careful that what we are teaching is accurate it's of, because I cannot get up here and give you my opinion. It has to be the word of God. There has to be a basis to what we're talking about in the, in the framework of the scriptures. But this next part here, if any man minister, all right, the word minister means to serve, to serve God's people, serving one another. This is what we've been talking about for many weeks of the past. But there's a third element in the scripture here. You see, these verses are not something you just read over, brush over. And if you do that, you, you will miss incredible teaching and incredible instruction and admonishments. So what have we learned already tonight in this one verse? We've learned about the oracles of God, what it was. We've learned about how to minister, and that means to serve one another. But the reason we do that the reason we have the oracles of God and we serve one another, look at this, the latter part of it. Let him do it as the ability which God giveth that in all things, here's the reason, in all things, talking about God, he may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So there are three critical components to verse number 11. And one of the ways we bring honor and glory to the Lord is through worship. Giving God glory, I believe, should be our goal every time we come into this house, to give him glory. In fact, there's a verse of Scripture in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 6. The Bible says, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now I want you to look at verse number 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. You know, millions of professing Christians have actually quit on God because of setbacks in their life. The truth of the matter is our circumstances can change in the twinkling of an eye, in a breath, in a word, in a day, overnight. Those of you who have been with me in the Holy Land in the past, sometimes when we take that trip across the Sea of Galilee, you have been with me when the, we got on the boat when the sun was shining and we took a little way out there and then the clouds came up then the winds came up it, out of nowhere, just like that. And that's how it happens on the Sea of Life. And it's unfortunate that 
many professing believers are, are ready and willing to quit on God at the drop of a hat, at the first sign of trouble. But I want to remind all of you, especially you at home tonight, don't get distracted with what you have going on there. Please stay focused with us. We have to remind ourselves that the Christian life is constantly across life. You, you will never be in shallow water as a Christian with a picnic basket. It, it, it's just not like that. You know, I was, I deceived, I don't know if I deceived myself or if, if, the, if the devil had put blinders on me. I don't know what it was. But when I surrendered to preach way back in 1978, I really thought this. I thought that the ministry was about preaching, praying, singing, and going home. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? It kind of reminds me of those disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were saying, oh, Lord, this is a wonderful place. I mean, man, this is where the deal is. Let us just build three tabernacles up here and stay up here. Lord, this would be wonderful. But it ain't like that. The Christian life is a cross life. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 10, the word says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in John 15 verse 20, the, the word says, Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. And if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying... They will keep yours also. So we have to remember this. When you, this Peter is saying, if you suffer, you have to remember this, that you, you've not been singled out in some kind of indiscretion with God. I'm telling you, that's the bulk of it. We will suffer persecution as a believer. We will have fiery trials. Now, verse number 13, look at this. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. I think that Peter was reminded of his own persecution by the Sanhedrin when he gets to this place, when he's writing, because obviously when you study his life, he was put in jail on several occasions, just like Paul. Not only was Peter put in jail because of his position in Christ, the stand that he was taking. But he was also, like the other apostles, he was severely persecuted to the place where he was actually beaten because of his faith. And if you look in Acts chapter 5, verse 40 through 41, I'm going to give you these scriptures here. And I really do hope you're putting these references down. It will bless you at some other point in your life. But in Acts chapter 5, verse 40 and 41, the scripture says unto him, they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And in verse 41, the Bible says, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And so they considered their suffering for Christ a good thing an honorable thing. But think how God was working in all of that. And, and I jotted some things down, and I want you to think with me. Think about really the productivity that came about from 
their sufferings. Because when they were put in jail, they won the jailer to Christ. When they were locked up, they wrote the epistles that exposed the wiles of the devil. When they were turned loose, the Bible says they turned the world upside down. And when they were beat, according to the scripture here, they became partakers of the sufferings of Christ. And when they were killed, they were promoted to glory. So no matter how you look at it, when they became partakers of Christ, I guess that's what Paul had in reference in his mind for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now look at verse number 14. This is important. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of. But on your part, he is glorified. Let me remind you of something. No suffering for Christ will ever be in vain. None. In verse number 15, now let's look at this. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody and other men's matters. None of us should be on a path to self-destruct. Sometimes the stuff we get ourselves into is self-manufactured storms. Probably one of the classic examples of Scripture that I can give you of that, of a, of a manufactured storm, <clears throat> is the life of Jonah. You watch what he does, what he did, and he had created his own whirlwind. He had manufactured his own trouble, and sometimes I think we as believers, we do the same thing. The busybody thing here, if you look in the Scripture, I, I guess it's simple, but we should always use self-discipline to refrain ourselves from getting involved in other people's business. And really, the truth of the matter is this, and I've said this many, many times, if we spend our time worrying about ourselves, we don't have time to worry about other people's self or stuff. And I really like this principle. <clears throat> I use it a lot and remind people of this on numerous occasions. No matter how spiritual we will ever be, we have to remember that we will never be somebody else's Holy Spirit. We have to remember that. We have too much work to be done on ourselves rather than get caught up in somebody else's affairs. Now, if they're seeking your help, I, I'm not talking about that. So I'm not stretching this beyond imagination, but you know exactly what I'm speaking of tonight. Now let's look at verse number 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, 
but let him glorify God on this behalf. And so when I, when I look at this word here, Christian, you may be very well familiar with this. The scriptures teach us that the believers were first called Christians where class? Where? Antioch. Believers were first called Christians at Antioch. And the scripture for that is Acts 11.26. This is, this is something that everybody in the class tonight ought to have nailed down. This is where it began. This is where this name Christian, the Christians, these believers were first called Christians in Antioch. And the scripture says this in Acts 11.26. And when he had found him, he brought unto him or unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians in, or look at that, first in Antioch. That's very important. And the word Christian, by the way, is a, is a Greek word, and it's pronounced Christenos. But it was embodied in a Hebrew thought, and that being the Christ or the Messiah, and so, or, or the anointed one. And so this name, Christian, it reminded believers that they were committed to our glorious person who was not only the promised Messiah, but the creator of the universe, God incarnate, the one who is seated on the throne in heaven. But in Peter's day and in the time that this was written, the word Christian was despised. In fact, the word Christian in Peter's day was a vulgar word. It was a profane word. And believers suffered great persecution when they were labeled or were associated with this word Christian. And I thought about it. You know, today's Christians, even though nobody's sent to the guillotine or nobody's taken to the amphitheater and, and uh, are devoured by wild, savage, starving beasts, they were not martyred like the other apostles. But Christians today do suffer extreme persecution. And But I will say this, in some parts of the world, they are, they are killed and persecuted for their faith, especially in uh, these uh, sadistic places on the globe. Now, verse number 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And so the judgment that Peter's talking about here refers to the outbreak of persecution that had taken place against the church. God allowed it and overruled it. And when I think of this, Peter remembers here the disciplinary action. And I want you to see this the judgment of God and, and the disciplinary action that took place in the New Testament, especially with Ananias and Sapphira. You remember that story. In fact, I want you to see this. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. I might have to end here tonight. But this, this is a very eye-opening passage of Scripture. It has a lot to do with our behavior and our conduct, especially uh, the penalty, the judgment associated with lying to the Holy Spirit. But a certain man, Acts chapter 5, verse 1, named Ananias with Sapphira's wife, sold a possession 
and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, for she was very much aware at the scheme, and brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled that heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Was it remained, was it not thine own, and after it was sold? Was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied to men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. The young men arose, wound him up, carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much? And she said, Yeah, yeah, for so much. And Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And so God, God used this event to open the eyes of believers and to give a message to the church. In fact, he actually added to the church. As a result of this whole episode in verse number 14, Acts chapter 5, verse 14, I'll close with this. The Bible says, and now you have to remember, because of this whole happening that we just read, verse 14, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women, as, as this thing unfolded. So God used it in a great way. And uh, you have to remember this, but that by the time that Peter had wrote his two letters, apostasy was running rapid within the church. And uh, if people weren't judging themselves, and the church wasn't doing it, then God wasted no time in bringing judgment upon it himself. And that's what happened in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.